0: podcast, where we explore the backgrounds of interesting individuals and how they intersect with our building industry in Iowa. I'm your host, Ben Hammis and I'm going to bring to you topics that help educate, develop, grow, and enhance you and your company. Well, hi, Larry. Welcome to the podcast. Ben, thanks for the invitation. Larry, can you do
1: a quick introduction for our audience? Well, thank you. Yeah, my name is Larry Cormichael. I have my own consulting business, and my background covered general contracting and construction management for 24 years, higher education and construction management and construction engineering, and overlapped on top of that, my consulting business for two and a half decades. So I provide services to master builders of Iowa as a trainer and help them promote the use of CM at risk.
0: Larry, how long have you been a consultant or a trainer? Let's start with the trainer for MBI first. How about that? The first courses I taught for Master Builders of Iowa
1: was in 2015, so it's been eight years going on nine, which has been a great experience teaching planning and scheduling to all the contractors' employees. And then I engaged with Master Builders of Iowa in March of this year to help promote the use of CM at Risk, and the first uh,
0: promotion was to public owners at the end of March. Mm -hmm. And now, at every MBI event, you can't go anywhere without running into former students, right? There are several thousand <laughs> former students of mine from Iowa
1: State that are in the construction profession, and it's. I'm finding I get the names wrong. <laughs> yeah? It's hard to remember that many people. I remember
0: the faces. The names are becoming disconnected. <laughs> yeah. Well, even this morning, we had our breakfast club and uh, addressing some cybersecurity issues, and I could. I could see the light bulb going on with some of these former people who are students, but it's really hard to keep track of names after that long, I'm sure.
1: Oh, it is. But it's great to reconnect yeah. and see how successful they are and as members of MBI,
0: how well their businesses are doing. Yeah. And and the other thing is it's got to be very hard to keep track of where people are. People jumping around in this industry, as you know.
1: Well, I've tried to connect to my past students through LinkedIn and most people keep a current LinkedIn account. Yeah, I suppose. it helps me follow them, their promotions, or changes of employer, or their career changes. Mm-hmm.
0: Now, we hired Larry. What was that? Was that March? Is that what? Is that what yes, we it was March of this year. Larry came on as a consultant to MBI for CM at Risk, like he's mentioned, and we've done a lot over this spring, summer, and fall educating owners, architects. Um, contractors, both members and non-members of NBI. Um, Larry's been uh, climbing through the uh, plan room on a daily basis, getting ahead of RFQs and RFPs that may be not up to snuff with the new law, and we kind of hired him to bring that industry and teaching experience um, as a third party. We didn't feel that NBI uh, should be in the middle of calling balls and strikes on a lot of these <laughs> things, right? But we wanted to Have somebody that had the expertise guide everybody because we think of ourselves in that education capacity now. And we've been doing a lot of that. So, Larry, what have you learned? Well, I've learned that
1: the design professionals are receptive. I presented at the AIA Iowa Convention a little over a week and a half ago at the Iowa Event Center. And it was greatly attended and I think very well received. And many of them are aware and many are engaged in CM at risk on public building projects, which is great to hear. I hope the public owners will be receptive to the architects and the designers suggesting this project delivery method. Mm-hmm. They were receptive in March when we presented in Iowa City. We had over 100 attendees, and I hope the architects continue to recommend CM at risk for public building projects with their government owners. Mm-hmm. There are many advantages to using CM at risk and I think the design community is receptive and I'm
0: encouraged. Yeah, I've noticed well, you've done a lot of, of uh, upfront work with these design professionals and I concur with you that everybody is in the, at least from my vantage point, everybody is in the position of of saying, can you help rather than we know how to do it, you need to go away. Everybody's been pretty receptive, and I think that's been very encouraging. Yes, it is.
1: I am glad they're receptive. Uh, I said to the designers a week and a half ago, I said, how many of you have had a construction project where there was a problem with the contractor? Mm. And almost everyone raised their hand. How many of you have had a project where there was a problem with a subcontractor? Almost everyone raised their hand. I said, imagine a project delivery where you as the architect with the owner can pre-qualify the construction manager and the construction manager can pre-qualify the subcontractors. It is no longer a low bid wins as your qualification.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I think, um, the design professionals are even with some of the larger firms, tell me if I'm wrong, but I get the perception that um, some are encouraging the use of CMA risk, but there's also still hesitation out there. Can you talk about some of the hesitation that you've seen or heard from? Well, I think some design firms are wondering what's the value
1: that the construction manager brings to the project team. Ah, speak to that. And the value that construction manager can bring, and I said this to the architects at their convention, It is during pre-construction, the pre-construction services from the construction manager, multiple budget updates from conceptual design, schematic design, design development, and finally going into construction documents. There are many issues that architects, and they aren't aware, and they shouldn't be aware. Things like long lead deliveries with today's supply chain bottlenecks, Everyone I talk to in the industry says, I can't believe on this project what I can't get. And on one project, I can't get enough drywall every day. Mm-hmm. and another project, it's a piece of electrical gear. and another project, it's some quirky long lead delivery. Who better to analyze that than someone that buys that every day, and that's the construction manager. So it's lead time analysis, schedule analysis, budget updates, constructability, phasing, and many other things that contractor, construction manager, can bring to the design team with the owner and build a partnership to solve these problems during design mm-hmm. so they don't crop
0: up during construction. Mm-hmm. Well, I think in one of the other, the, the flip side of the coin here is we've been trying to point out to any of the groups and the owners especially that they seem at risk, you will not have as much value in every situation. Talk about the projects that maybe wouldn't. Maybe they're set up to be traditional design bid build. They they fit uh, that type of project.
1: Well, Ben, you're right. There are projects that still fit the traditional design bid build, and that isn't going away. I think it's just another delivery method for the smaller projects, the short duration projects, projects that let's say it's an interior remodeling project. Mm and it could be in a government office building, or a city hall, or a state government building. Those tend to be shorter duration, and there's just not as many issues to deal with. Less sophisticated. Yeah, less sophisticated, simpler. You know, it may be a 90-day project. You've got three months to complete it in a school over the summer, and... There, it's design, bid, build, or maybe CM agent instead of construction manager at risk. You know, interior remodeling, upgrading mechanical, electrical systems in educational facilities, there's not a lot of options. They just want to bring it up to the current technology.
0: So, since you mentioned CMA, construction manager, agent,
1: mm-hmm.
0: when would an owner be better served using CMA over CM at risk? I mean, there's. I think I heard you correctly, and we've still been talking about this, but there is still value in the CMA delivery model. Well, there is. I think you need to look at it from
1: this perspective in the state of Iowa. When you go see them at risk, the owner, let's say it's a school district, has one contract with one contractor, the construction manager. And by law, the construction manager has to provide bonds, payment performance bonds, for the entire contract value. And let's just say it's a major project and it's a $100 million new high school. If you go to the construction manager agent model, there you could have a construction manager agent who is the advisor and agent to the owner, and the school district ends up with 25 prime contractors, What you may find is that the construction manager agent doesn't have the bonding capacity to be the CM at risk, but they can provide great construction manager, advisor, or agent services and and help the school district manage the 25 prime contractors. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a matter, does the owner want the complexity of CMA or do they want the simplicity of a construction manager at risk? One contractor, one point of contact, fully bonded, fully protected. And I think the smaller owners that don't have the construction staff, that don't have the construction experience, they find CM at risk simpler for them because there are only one contractor where the CM agent, with 25 primes, and and of course, if you're building a $100 million school, you're dealing with a large school district that probably has a professional construction representative in their facilities group. So the smaller projects really benefit from seeing them at risk when the owner, as a government entity, can't
0: even afford one person on their staff to manage their construction projects. Mm. I'm going to ask you the same question, but maybe for two different audiences. So let's start with the CM at risk selection. Um, Let's talk about I'm company, I'm Hamas Construction, and I have not participated in a public CM at risk project in the past. What should I be aware of? How should I conduct myself? How should I set myself apart if I want to participate in my first see them at risk public project. What would you recommend?
1: What I would recommend to the up-and-coming contractor that wants to do their first see them at risk is understand the request for qualifications process, the RFQ. Understand what the law allows the owner to ask about your qualifications. And the way to be prepared to participate in see them at risk would be for you to write a rfq response here are our qualifications here's our history here's our safety record here's our resumes of our proposed staffing for this project here's an organizational chart and have that narrative pre-written and then modify that per rfq request to fit the specific project it is a qualification based selection process to start so you need to be prepared to respond to the rfq And if you don't understand how to do that, then bring in some outside help and learn how to author these. Now, the owners are typically using their architects to write the RFQ in the first place. Mm -hmm. But it needs to be fully compliant with the Iowa law. And there's only certain categories they can ask you to respond to. Mm -hmm. So that is controlled. And that's in the law. And that's easily available. You can learn what they can ask you, and have all of this pre-written. So when they give you two weeks to respond to the RFQ, you just need to edit it to
0: fit the project, and you submit. Well, I think what's important, too, to point out is that the law provides you to uh, document that experience in responding to the RFQ with both public and private experience. Yes, that is great. The law
1: says you can say, here's my private sector experience on similar projects, here's my public sector. So let's say you've been in the private sector with most of your annual volume, but the project that the RFQ's been issued on is similar to five of your past projects. They must allow the, you to submit your private experience as well as your public experience. So they can't, I would say disqualify you because you have no public building experience. Mm -hmm. Your private sector experience on similar projects counts. Right. So don't be afraid if you lack public sector experience. Right. Tout your private sector and write the project
0: write-ups and talk about your successes. Larry, I could talk to you for two hours on this process, so I'm going to try to just move along and try to hit some, I think, what are important questions that our audience a lot of your former students are wanting to hear. So let's move to where we've now, Hamas Construction has been selected as the CM at risk. What do you advise me as the CM at risk in crafting the uh, packages for the job in the pre-qualification piece? What can I pre-qualify on? What can I not include in the pre-qualification for subs on, on each individual package?
1: Oh, your pre-qualification of subcontractors. Correct. Well, you going to ask them about their company performance, staffing, capacity, you need to find out as the CM at risk if a specific trade contractor has the capacity, Hmm. And and I would look at it two ways. Do they have the current capacity? In other words, is their backlog okay so that they are not overwhelmed with this project when they would be involved on the job? And if you're going to bond them, do they have the bonding capacity? And the, the other side is you want to look at their reputation mm-hmm. and references. Mm-hmm. So you were asking them about that and pre-qualifying them. The law gives you a very specific checklist. It's straightforward. It's pretty simple. It's similar to the RFQ for the CM at risk, but for subcontractors, it's a little more simplified you get to pre-qualify a sub. You are not selecting them based on low bid on bid day because the RFQ process for subs lets you do
0: invitation-only bidding by subtrades. Correct, but after pre-qualification of the pool, then the package is determined on price. That's the way the law is written. That's my understanding. It's invitation-only,
1: and the law says, you award to the lowest responsive and responsible bidder. Within the pre-qualified pool. Within the pre-qualified right.
0: invitation-only pool. Right. Yes. Yeah, good. Um, okay, now I'm a subcontractor participating in my first CM at Risk project. I'm responding to such pre-qualification criteria that the CM at Risk has put out, in my case, in Hamas Construction. What do you advise the subcontractors? How do they properly respond? How do they... Competitively set themselves apart to be pre qualified and then have the opportunity to compete on price. What do you recommend?
1: What I'd recommend to a subcontractor that wants to pass the uh, smell test of the RFQ, be prepared to talk about similar past projects. Mm -hmm. And a CM is going to look at you and say, well, this is a half-million-dollar bid package, or this is a $50,000 bid package, or this is a $2 million bid package, Mm -hmm. you need to make sure your similar projects are of similar dollar volume, because Mm -hmm. it relates directly to your ability as a sub to put personnel and equipment on the job and maintain the schedule. Mm -hmm. So the CM wants to know, do you have the capacity to meet the schedule? Do you have the people and the resources that this project will demand? So past project experience, marketing sheets, they're always going to ask you about your safety record. That's very standard. Your experience on similar projects would be great to have pre-written up. And they need to allow minimum of 13 calendar days for you to respond to the RFQ. And I would say most are going to say two weeks. Mm -hmm. Be prepared to respond to an RFQ. Now, the great news for you as a sub, potential sub, is the RFQ package is publicly advertised by law, Mm -hmm. and any subcontractor can respond to the RFQ.
0: In the same way a traditional design bid-build project is, it's flowing through a service like Construct Connect, the NBI plan room, you're going to be notified, correct? That's exactly how it works. So the law requires the construction manager
1: with the public owner to publicly advertise the RFQ, and any subcontractor can submit an RFQ response. So No one is excluded in the RFQ process for subs.
0: Now, let's talk about transparency, because when the stakeholders spent three years putting this together, transparency was number one. When it's public dollars in the state of Iowa, transparency has to be there or it's not going to pass the smell test regardless. So talk to me about some of the transparency involved in the process. I mean, let's, well, you talked about the public notice requirements, but On the subcontractor packages all awards and bids are made available to the public upon request correct that is correct and the
1: law literally says the public may ask the public owner for all bid tabulations and bid results yep good so it is completely transparent what's interesting the law says the bid opening of subcontractor bids is with the construction manager at risk and the public owner. Mm. I recommend that that be held in the public owner's offices. Mm -hmm. It is transparent, and the law is very clear. They shall be opened, which are sealed bids, and read off the names of every bidder. Mm -hmm. And then the public, anyone can ask for copies of all the bid tabulations. And I'm sure everyone that would bid a trade package would want to see the bid tabulation. This is transparent. I think it's great that it's transparent. And the subs can say, I was actually given a fair shot at this bid package. Mm -hmm. It prevents the games behind the scenes in the back room where they wonder, well, I thought I was the low bidder, but I didn't get the job. Mm -hmm. In other words, was my bid, pardon the phrase, chopped and shopped? Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, I think that's very important. Um, i want to spend a couple minutes here. Do you have, do you have time to? Oh, absolutely. i want to spend a couple minutes on what it is you and I have seen in these RFQs and RFPs that, um, we've given a ton of credit to the design professionals because they're, they're doing the right things. They're asking the right questions. They're coming to us for education, but what are, what are some of the issues that you've been addressing with architects to say, well, this, this is not actually following the law, but here's what you could do to follow the law. Talk to me about a couple of those examples. Well, some of the
1: examples we've seen, I know one with a public owner, they said that the end of the RFQ process for the construction manager at risk, they would say the top three scored construction managers were qualified and everyone else was disqualified. And we contacted them and said, it's not quantity that makes them qualified, it's qualification-based. Mm-hmm. And the law is very clear, in my opinion, that it's a qualification-based. You score them qualified or disqualified. And the great news to the construction managers, if they're scored disqualified by law, the public owner needs to tell them why they're disqualified. Mm-hmm. So again, it goes back to what you mentioned a minute ago, Is this transparent? It is completely transparent. The owner, in their judgment, in scoring the RFQ responses, needs to have an objective reason or reasons that someone's not qualified, and they need to tell them so. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. There was a lot of debate around. I want to talk about this point because you're right. It is probably something we've seen more often than not. The law does not allow you to only issue RFPs to a short list. It's only, they have to be issued to every qualified CM at risk, and I think that's very important. It might be splitting hairs in some instances with people. We've we've run into this, right? But I think that's very important. Um, originally, the draft, the discussion was, well, sh- should we short list in order to avoid the timing and, quite frankly, possibly leading an 8th, ninth, or 10th? qualified candidate down the road of spending time and money on getting an RFP when they know that they're probably not going to be selected. So there was a lot of debate around why we had this language. At the end of the day, the law requires that everybody qualified be issued an RFP and a chance to respond. And that to me is the great part about the law. If you're judged qualified,
1: you shall receive the RFP. And it's the same with subcontractors. If
0: you're judged qualified, you shall receive the trade bid package. Right. What? Uh, give me an example. B. What else are you seeing out there?
1: I've seen with owners that have tried to write the RFQ without professional input, they misunderstand the timing of this process. Mm. They say, "Well, we'll put the RFQ out there for two weeks, and in one or two days, we'll score them all and immediately send out the RFP." Mm. The law allows the public owner up to 45 calendar days to evaluate, score, and determine who's pre-qualified as a construction manager. And the other thing I've seen is some public owners don't understand that the RFP process is the same as the RFQ. It's a minimum of 13 calendar days to a maximum of 45 calendar days to respond. So some of them don't understand the timing. It takes time to do this. And something else I've observed is public owners are engaging the construction manager at risk, in my opinion, too late. They need to be engaged when the project owner has hired the architect and maybe they're at conceptual design and they have the opportunity to give pre-construction services during design. Mm. The biggest mistake, in my opinion, a public owner can make is the architect says, well, we don't need the construction manager until it's time to build the project. The whole point of CM at risk is to bring the builder in for their advice, expertise on the topics I mentioned earlier, from scheduling, estimating, lead time analysis, and help the owner with the architect select systems, structural systems, MEP systems, enclosure systems, and avoid the pitfalls of getting shocked at bid day when the pricing comes in over budget and the project finishes behind schedule. The whole point is to eliminate and mitigate those risks of late completion and being over budget. So the mistake is they think they don't need the construction manager until it's time to build it. They need the construction manager right after they've selected the architect. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's the value in this process. If you you attempt to avoid the overlap of the pre-construction services you're not finding the value it's as simple as that i completely agree there is great value to be provided by the
1: construction manager and for the smaller firms that is a skill set you need to improve on to be competitive the smaller firms may find from the traditional design bid build they have great estimators on 100 percent construction documents can your estimator do a conceptual budget off conceptual design, schematic design, and design development? That's a different estimating skill. So to play in that CM- at risk league, let's call it that, your estimators need to have a broader range of estimating
0: skills to provide that pre-construction service. Something that's not listed in the law, well, the, the, the words are listed in the law, but the timing is not listed in the law, is setting the GMP setting the guaranteed maximum price what advice do you give to somebody who says simply when is the gmp established
1: in my experience and I'll admit mine was private sector for decades on cm at risk the construction manager needs in my opinion the input of receiving bids from the subtrades they need to see what the current market value is for each trade package, whether it's structural steel, concrete, MEP systems, or finishes. Without the construction manager knowing at that moment, at the time of sub-bids, where the prices really are, and in our economy recently, we've had some very volatile material prices. Mm -hmm. And this came out of COVID, and I think the economy and the supply chains are still recovering When you ask the CM at risk to give you a GMP, a guaranteed maximum price, that means they're going to write down a bottom line dollar value. Let's say it's $89 million. And you're going to say, well, you're going to provide 100% payment performance bond. And the bonding company says, well, what's the GMP based on? And hopefully the construction manager says, well, it's based on my subcontractor bids. And we've set an appropriate contingency based on that. And remember, all the subcontractor bids should be based on contract documents that are finished. Mm. They're not based on conceptual or schematic or design development. So for the public owner, you've got a construction manager that knows what the market is, tested the pricing in the market, has real numbers, and then can give the public owner a real guaranteed maximum price value that the bonding company will say, yeah, we'll bond that. The downside risk is if you tried to set the GMP without trade input, without receiving sub-bids, there's the risk. I don't know how high it is. The bonding companies may refuse to bond the construction manager. And that makes it. And we've heard that. We've heard that. We've heard that. That makes it a non-starter. Right. Because bonding is required by public law in Iowa on public
0: projects. Mm Mm-hmm. All right, I'm, I'm going to wrap this up here pretty quick, but I'm going to ask you an impossible question here to finish, okay? What is a unsophisticated owner who has never done a CM at risk project, who has gone into their first one, uh, say it's a two-year project, going to say at the end of year two? To that new
1: unsophisticated public owner, the small city the rural county in Iowa what I think they're going to find and I really truly believe this I'm sure glad we're doing see them at risk now I, I don't want to go back to the other delivery method mm. I think that's where they'll be they'll find there's so much value in see them at risk during pre-construction they'll want to make that their
0: preferred project delivery method mm. that's my prediction okay well we'll talk in two years we'll find out <laughs> Well, we're going to talk a lot more before that. Don't worry. but Ben, thanks
1: for the opportunity, and I wish all the MBI members great success chasing CM at
0: risk. Appreciate that, Larry. You've been a valuable resource. We've done a ton of webinars for owners, architects, contractors. We've been in front of city managers. We've been at the AIA conference. We've recorded these things. We did a one-year look back. We have all these resources, slide deck presentation. All this stuff is available. We have resources online. Um, You know, it feels like we can't put out enough, and we're going to continue to do that even in the uh, years ahead. Um, But I do want to make this last pitch to anybody listening. You don't have to be a former student of Larry's to contact me um, directly. Uh, My email is bhammes, H-A-M-M-E-S, at mbi.build. Let me know if you need Larry's help. Um, A lot of times – well, I've learned a lot from Larry myself, and a lot of times I can answer some of these questions but in the instance that I can't, that's what MBI has done is to make Larry available to you, whether you're an owner that might happen to listen to this, whether you're an architect who's embarking on their first project or an MBI member or non-member, quite frankly. Um, we want to be able to provide that, that guidance uh, as you embark on these projects. And so please reach out to myself at any time and uh, we'll do what we can. Thanks again, Larry. Thank you, Ben. It's been real. One of the best ways to plug in with MBI this fall is to attend one of our upcoming regional meetings that we're going to be holding in September and October. We take a road show to eight cities across Iowa to connect with our members. These are either free lunches or breakfasts, depending on which city and location we're going to be in. But if you'd like to get registered, please go on our website under the events section, find the dates and the times of our regional meetings, and join us. We'll see you out on the road.